You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. So he did one where we were in the bar and one in here, and he recently told me that his aim, one of his life goals, is to be the person who's done the most stories at True Stories Live. So, <laughs> but that's not why um, he's telling his story tonight. He's telling his story tonight because he is a brilliant storyteller and a brilliant person, and uh, and he's become a very good friend. So please, will you join me in welcoming the wonderful Stephen Musk? Good evening. As uh, Molly says, I quite enjoy doing these events. I find preparing and sharing them to be very therapeutic. So thanks very much for listening in advance. My story starts, as this particular story starts in my young teenage years when, like many boys, I experimented with a little bit of tobacco and a little bit of alcohol. And naturally, I kept this hidden from my parents but they always seem to find the things they shouldn't find. And the take-home message from that should have been, they're searching your personal spaces. The message I took home was, they can read your mind and they know where you've put it. And then, uh, crop number one, I've, anyone roughly my age, mid-50s male, might remember Airfix model airplane kits that you stuck together and painted. And this is a fairly harmless pastime. But uh, if I took too many home, I would get lectured on the danger of uh, wasting my money. So I used to smuggle them into the house and do them on the quiet. On one occasion, I had three different planes hidden in various parts of my bedroom, all in various stages of completion and painting and what have you. And sure enough, one night, my parents said to me, you don't have to hide your planes, but don't you think it'd be better to do one at a time rather than have three at once? <laughs> so, yes, the... Clearly, the evidence is they're searching your space. Still didn't get it. I'm now convinced that they can read every thought in my head. Now, at the time, I hadn't heard of schizophrenia, and I didn't know what was coming. Perhaps that was just as well. So there I was at home. They can read my thoughts. So at school, too, I found that people could read my thoughts. And this proved very tricky when it came to the case of a, a new boy at school whose name was Chris. And Chris was gorgeous. Uh, if it wasn't love at first sight, it was love at second sight. But it wasn't a homophobic school, but I thought there was a bit of difference between having homosexual feelings in general and being head over heels in love with one of your fellow pupils. And I thought, if he found out, this is going to be bad news for me. So he can read my mind. How can I do something about this? So I was, came to the completely wrong conclusion. I, I thumped him several times. And, yes, uh, he couldn't read my mind, of course. All he could read was the thumping. So he didn't get mixed messages. He thumped me back. And we had a couple of fights that were arranged. And uh, they're laughing again. Uh, he got quite puzzled and even annoyed by the fact that I wasn't much of a fighter. Because the reason I wasn't much of a fighter was I didn't want to thump him at all. I wanted to make love to him. 
notice the phrase make love rather than fuck because that's more accurate. But after a couple of fights, in which he won, we sort of, uh, well, that was it. We were no longer on speaking terms. We were no longer on fighting terms. And uh, we got to our O-levels and got through them and then on to A-levels. And uh, we both did chemistry. And the class was either 10 or 12 in total. All of us gathered around the front bench in the big chemistry lab. And there he was, just a few yards away from me. And I'm thinking, God, I want to tell him how much I love him. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't possibly let him know anything at all. So there I am, psychosexually unraveling during the two years. <laughs> there is no contact between us at all in those two years, nothing. And in a way, I'm glad. And in a way, I'm desperately sad. And at the end of the two years, we finish our A-levels and we go our separate ways. And I have been mixed feelings about that. If I'd known what to do, I would have probably left a, a goodbye note explaining all and offering a groveling apology. But I couldn't even manage that. Since then, I've learned not to thump people I fall in love with. <laughs> I generally avoid them like the plague. But I still suffer very, very badly from the idea that uh, people are reading my thoughts, which makes it very hard to lie, because people can see the unstated truth behind the stated untruth. So it's not because I'm particularly well-behaved, it's because I know people can tell when I'm lying. It's been 40 years, roughly, since I last saw Chris. I wouldn't recognize him in the street now, and I guess he wouldn't recognize me. Prop number two, this is Take It Easy with the Walker Brothers. The Walker Brothers' first album, out in 1965, splendid album. The third track on the first side is called First Love Never Dies. And uh, unfortunately, that's correct. Chris was my first love, and it's never died. I've, uh, he still frequents my dreams and nightmares quite often. In my nightmares, I repeat all the old mistakes. Sometimes things get worse because I actually managed to hurt Chris while not fighting him. Or I actually managed to tell him what my motives were and he gets very stroppy. Sometimes there are dreams in which I get to tell him my motives and he forgives me and we become friends and that's wonderful. Never in any of my dreams do I ever get to sleep with Chris, make love to him again, because that would be not a dream, that would be a nightmare. Because that would imply that my feelings for him were reciprocated. And there was I bashing him and not only hurting him, but stuffing up my chance of something beautiful. And this I find very hard to process. Uh, it's still going on today. I, I had a dream about Chris on Friday night, which was sort of not a dream, not a nightmare, but just sort of somewhere in the middle. And I've got all this crap which I would call too much information, and I'm still not able to process it. So I'm going to break all the rules of true stories here. There isn't a finish to this story, and I'm not sure there ever will be one, but just pack the story aside and concentrate on the word true. What's true at the moment is if I was to finish this little speech by lapsing into uh, a puzzled incoherent, awkward silence. And that's it.
True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich.